Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I am your host. I am joined by my two co-hosts today. I got Carlos Mercano. I got Mike Carter with me. Fellas, someone talk to me. How you guys doing? So happy to be with you. And, and I'm so happy to be back again. And I, I was missing you guys. Uh, it, it's funny, but sometimes I miss you more than I think I should. But that, 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 that's how life goes, right? <laughs> I'm getting um, really I'm, sentimental I'm, here. All right. I like it. All right. <laughs> Mike, do you have anything nice to say? I was starting to forget what you look like, Carlos. <laughs> nah, you're not missing too much, man. all right well we got an awesome uh, episode here we are going to be talking all things chicago cubs we have a great guest we have sarah sanchez she is host of the bleed cubby blue podcast part of the sb nation family of team sites she covers the cubs we're so excited to have you sarah uh how are you and thank you for joining us i am doing well and thank you for having me always love talking baseball that we will do. So the first thing that we're going to we, we want to know more about you before we get into the Cubs talk. We want to learn a little bit more about uh, your career path and, and kind of how you got your start in the industry. So if you could take a few minutes here just to tell us how you got started and um, just a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah. So like a lot of people in the fantasy baseball and baseball uh, content creation community. This is my side gig. Uh, I actually run programs for an organization that makes sure there are debate programs in public high schools as my main job. But um, I've been a member of the Bleed Cubby Blue community going way back, I want to say since like 2007, 2008, back when like Mark DeRosa was on that team. It's an excellent community of Cubs fans. We'd watch games together and chit chat over there. If you're in, if you're a member of any of the SB Nation team communities, you know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the way everybody kind of comes together there. And as part of that, uh, when I lived in Boston in 2011, I was able to meet in person for the first time the editor of Bleed Cubby Blue, Al Yellen. And we stayed friends when I moved out to Chicago in 2015. And through a series of circumstances, I wound up getting an opportunity to write a piece for them when the Chicago Cubs won the NLCS and they were writing on the, putting all the chalk writings to everybody who had ever come before, who had never seen the Cubs in the World Series on the wall at Wrigley. I had my phone out and I just took a bunch of pictures. I asked Al if he wanted them and he said, well, write it up. Let's see what happens. And so I I wrote it up. The story did really well. And he basically said, hey, do you want to write for us? Um, all the time. And I writing about baseball is really a lifelong dream of mine. I got my first byline in my little local newspaper back in rural Utah when I was 13, covering my brother's Little League teams. So wow. that was kind of a dream come true. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And here we are seven years later. <laughs> oh, very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like the Chicago baseball community is really strong. Like I see on Twitter, like it seems like Cubs fans, White Sox fans, like there's just something. It's just like a very close knit community of baseball fans. So, um, you know, it sounds like you're part of an awesome community there with Bleed Cubby Blue. Um, tell us a little bit about how did you even get interested in baseball? What, what did that look like? So, 
the little town where I grew up was a total baseball community, but my dad was the coach of the little league team that my brother played on. And, you know, this is like the late eighties when I came home with the little league sign up. Cause I played baseball all the time with the neighborhood kids. Was, I grew up in a neighborhood of boys and I was told pretty quickly that girls didn't play little league, which boo, they do now, mm. but they didn't in the late eighties in rural Utah. Um, and so instead my parents were super cool. They like taught me how to keep score. I kept the stats for my brother's teams the whole time I was growing up. I did the hand scoreboard and left. And I just, I love the game. I fell in love with the Chicago Cubs watching them on WGN. And I just kind of followed it my entire life. And here we are. So kind of like Dansby Swanson, he talked about how, you know, he fell in love with the Cubs watching them on WGN. And that was also something I did, uh, you know, cause they, it was available. Uh, and you didn't, obviously when we were growing up, MLB network wasn't a thing. So, um, yeah. yeah, interesting though. You said that you lived in rural Utah, but it was a baseball community. So that's not two things I would think go together. But uh, uh, tell me about that. Well, I just mean in terms of you know there were always competitive little league teams. There were like we were in a town of less than ten thousand people, and there was like a central division and a national division, and a, like there were all these different divisions that would play against each other. I there were probably a dozen, maybe more little league teams for the kiddos who were my age growing up. And those teams were super competitive. I remember uh, my brother's team when they were the 12 year olds, like went to the Western divisional, whatever in Idaho. And they did not, they, they wound up taking second in that tournament, which wasn't good enough to get them to whatever the next step would be. But that was just a really cool experience. That's actually how I started writing about baseball. Our little newspaper didn't have the resources to cover that team. I thought it would be pretty cool if they could be in the paper. And my mom had worked at the paper as a copy editor years before me and my brother had been born. And she just went to him, the editor and said, look, my daughter wants to write up these stories. If you hate what she does, you don't have to publish it. But if you like it, she will write them up for you and you don't have to pay her anything. Just put it in the paper. And so I actually wound up writing up my brother's Little League teams and later his Babe Ruth and American Legion teams and later my debate teams uh, when I was in high school. Awesome. Well, they're going to take you up on that offer for free labor, right? Um, yeah, it was a cautionary uh, tale for baseball content creation. Yeah, yeah. We could get into a much larger discussion about that. But, uh, well, listen, thank you so much for, for sharing a little bit about yourself. Uh, we're going to get into now a little bit more about the Cubs and, and their outlook for this coming season. So, Mike, do you want to want to start us off here? Yeah. So, Sarah, you know, the Cubs kind of strike me as, I don't know, like there's like, like this weird sort of manic energy around them in Chicago. I feel right now, like not a hundred percent sure what to make out of like some of the moves that they're making and, and people seem like really positive about it. But I was wondering if you could kind of start us off by talking a little bit about the, the starting pitching. Um, there seems to be some question about what the five man rotation will actually be and kind of like where Kyle Hendricks fits into that. And I guess as a secondary to that, where do you see Hayden Wesniewski fitting into this too? Because he looked pretty good there at the end of the season. It looks like they might have a number of guys that might be in competition. Could you talk a little bit about how you see the rotation working out for the Cubs? Well, I'm going to take a global overview for a second before I jump into the Kyle Hendricks or Hayden Wesniewski part of this question, because the reason that there is a lot of confusion about the Cubs starting rotation and what exactly they're doing is because this is a 
collection of like seven number three to number five starters. There is not a top of the rotation arm here unless Justin Steele takes a massive step forward or Marcus Stroman has a career year or Jamison Tyon has a career year. It's a bunch of guys who would be a serviceable number three, serviceable number four, back end type of guy that are the Cubs just happen to have like eight of them. And so it's really difficult to predict like where all of those guys come together. Now you talk specifically about Kyle Hendricks and I, you know, I want a Kyle Hendricks bounce back more than just about anything in the world. I uh, jokingly call him Kyle with a C instead of Kyle with a K when he (laughs) is at his best, because the man really can just, he, he, all he does is get guys out when he's right. But he has not been right for a couple of seasons now. And I think there's there could be a handful of different reasons for it. I think that the ball changes mm-hmm. really impacted Kyle Hendricks more than they would have impacted a lot of other people. He is a finesse pitcher. He's very much more in the mold of like a Greg Maddox than in the mold of a guy who's a flamethrower. And frankly, I think that hurt him a lot. His home run rates really skyrocketed in 2021. He had injury issues in 2022. And as much as I want him to bounce back, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Dan Heron was on Twitter with the handle of iThrow88. Kyle Hendricks is working with Driveline right now to get his fastball back up to 88. Like his fast, his sinker was at 86 miles per hour last year. And that's not enough differentiation between where he throws his changeup, which is how he makes his living. He fools you on the difference, on the speed differentiation between his changeup and his sinker. And if he can't do that, he's not going to be a very effective pitcher. So I would love to see that happen. I'm pretty skeptical. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to just jump right into Hayden Wisniewski or do we want yeah, to talk about Hendricks a bit? Yeah, just, you're, you're riffing. Go for it. Um, so Hayden Wisniewski, I actually think is currently, like if you were to map it all out, he probably projects as the number six guy in the rotation. I think that he's going to get as many innings as anybody else in this rotation for a few reasons. One, Kyle Hendricks, it doesn't look like, is going to be ready at the start of the season. So Wisniewski probably gets those starts while Hendricks is hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. Drew Smiley, who the Cubs brought back, has not thrown more than 125 innings in any major league season since 2017. I don't think he's going to do it in 2023. So when he is getting some rest or on the injured list, I imagine Wisniewski is going to get those starts. Uh, Marcus Stroman is a guy who can get you closer to 200 innings, but he's had some seasons recently where he has not. Jamison Tyons had two Tommy John surgeries. Like I just cannot imagine the Cubs have any incentive to push any of these guys on their innings totals. And the guy who I mentioned at the start, who could be the real star of this rotation, Justin Steele has never thrown more than 119 innings in a season. That's what he did last year. And he kind of, he kind of flamed out towards the end of the year, had some injury issues. So Hayden Wisniewski is going to get a lot of spot starts at the back end of that rotation. He might also wind up coming out of the bullpen a little bit, but I'm not worried about his innings. He threw 155 innings last year across the minors and the majors, uh, which is more than just about anybody else on the Cubs rotation. Sarah, kind of a follow-up to that. You know, you're you're the Cub expert here, and here's what I was wondering. Why do you think they didn't go after a true ace? when they clearly needed one. Do you think that that's something that they're waiting on? Do you think that they're waiting for greener pastures to kind of come to them before they sink that money into a top-line starter? I think that Jed Hoyer is wedded to this idea of what he calls intelligent spending. And as far as I can tell, what intelligent spending means to Jed Hoyer is that you never do a contract that can be just a disaster of a deal. 
Um, so it might surprise people to know that the Chicago Cubs, one of the premier franchises in all of baseball, have never signed a $200 million deal with any player. The largest right. contract in team history is the eight-year $184 million deal they made with Jason Hayward. Uh, the second largest is the Dansby Swanson deal, which is seven years, $177 million for this year. Um, this team is not in the business of doing massive contracts. And if you're not going to crest that $200 million range or you're not going to crest that 10-year range, you can't get in on some of these arms. There is no Carlos Rodon for you. <laughs> you don't have the option of a Justin Verlander if you're not willing to pay $35 million a year for yeah. that top-of-the-rotation arm. And so I think what they've decided to do instead is to invest in a lot of guys who can give you quality innings, but no guy who can blow you away. Now, I understand that from a consultant perspective as a strategy. Like, they're certainly making smarter buys than some of the other teams that might get blown out because somebody uh, gets hurt in their rotation. Like, if Rodone goes down for, like, two seasons, that's terrible for the New York Yankees. But... It means hey, that don't they don't that, have please. as much upside. I'm sorry. I'm a Yankee fan, so I, I really didn't like you, oh. you know, <laughs> throwing that out there. We no shame to the Yankees. Through. I wanted him on the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. I, 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 I'm I, not understanding what's going on in Chicago. I mean, my I've never been to Chicago. I'm, I'm over here in New York. But my understanding of Chicago is that you're a big market, right? Like, you're, you're a big city. What the heck's going on with the White Sox and the Cubs? Like, I didn't realize that they haven't signed anybody larger than that Hayward contract. Um, you know, I couldn't believe, like, I thought I, I someone had to be mistaken when I saw that uh, Benintendi was the, mo- was the biggest contract that the White Sox have given out. What the hell's going on over there? Like, why are you guys so cheap? Well, I'm not going to speak to the White Sox. I'll, I'll let Mike do that because that's really his ballywick. But um, it, in the case of the Cubs, I think that there was a time period where it looked like they were going to spend in that 2016 core, 2017, 2018 area. You know, they did make some big deals. They never made the huge deal, but it looked like they were going to spend. They did the Kimbrel uh, mid-year signing and they brought him on for a bunch of money. The problem was that the Ricketts kind of pulled the rug out from under Theo Epstein as he was making those deals. And all of a sudden in 2018, when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper became available, there was no money. Like they were just told, like they, they were out on those huge contracts, which was frankly, as a Cubs fan, I find it pathetic. Mm-hmm. I know what the tickets cost at Wrigley Field and I know how many of them they sell. And, and that team can, that team prints money. They turned their ballpark into an amusement park this winter and like if you looked at how much it costs to do the rides and the tickets and the this and the that they made a ton of money on that amusement park they bring concerts in and they pack that house the Ricketts own all of the real estate and the land around the ballpark and they're making bank on a hotel on retail space Mm -hmm. on they've got a sports book that is going to open sometime this season that they are going to bring in even more money for and yet they tell us Oh, no, no, no. We're doing intelligent spending deals. We're not in on Xander Bogarts at 11 years, 200 whatever million dollars it is. We're only in on Dansby Swanson at 7177. And so as a fan, it's very frustrating. I think that Jed Hoyer does not ever want to be the guy who did a bad deal. And because of that, he shops in the mid-market range. That's mm-hmm. why they have a collection of number three starters. It's why they have Dansby Swanson and not one of the big three shortstops. And it's why they haven't been able to do extensions with any of their homegrown players. Because if you're a guy 
like a Javier Baez, you want to get paid by the team that drafted you and developed you. If you're a Wilson Contreras, you want to get paid by that team. Anthony Rizzo signed a team-friendly deal to stay with the team through the World Series years, and they rewarded that team-friendly deal that he took early in his career when he could have made more money by offering him five years, $70 million, which frankly is insulting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, that then we also have the, um, you know, Ricketts talking about, you know, suffering biblical losses and refusing to open up his books and see what was really there. It's all a sham, right? So... You know, they almost sound like the Red Sox. There's like a lot of parallels between these two teams, like just the way they're going about this offseason, just like doing weird things, but kind of being cheap and uh, but then giving you some indication that they are going for it. So I don't know, just uh, I I definitely see some similarities there, but I guess we can save. uh, (laughs) We can't we can't bitch too long. Uh, Let's keep going and we'll we'll get Carlos in here. I haven't heard from you. Um, Carlos, let's uh, let's talk a little I'll bit give, about Mike's favorite thing, the bullpen. I, I'll give you a silver lining, guys. You are not an Oakland fan, yes, so, <laughs> as I am. So well, I rejoice in that, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's talk something really also very popular, like this, this the expanding that these guys are doing, like the bullpen. Who, who is really Brandon Hughes going to? close for, for the Cubs? Um, I, I think the Cubs are a closer by committee type of team. And let me just be very transparent. I'm not drafting my top closers in any league from the Chicago Cubs. I think over the last couple of seasons, David Ross has shown us that he is going to mix a match. And, and to put this in perspective, in 2022, the Cubs had 44 saves as a team. 10 different pitchers had at least one save. David Robertson got 14 of those. And he is gone. But as far as I can tell, that's basically the role that Brad Boxberger has now, a guy who has closed before, who's kind of past his prime, hasn't closed in a while, but has that experience and can step in if he needs to. Um, in terms of speculation about what they'll do early in the season, I think Brandon Hughes is the closer if there are a lot of lefties coming up. I think Adbert Alzali, a former starter, is probably mm-hmm. the closer if they have a lot of righties coming up. Adbert has the worst lefty power splits in baseball, so or did mm-hmm. the last season he was healthy. Um, so I think that that's kind of like a platoon closer type of situation. And then if you want to speculate on some other guys who might get a save here or there, I think that Rowan Wick had nine saves last year before he lost that job. Uh, Manny Rodriguez, who really has quite the arm and is a flamethrower out of the bullpen, had four. And the guy I like, to win that job late in the season and hold it is actually Cody Hoyer, who the Cubs got in their trade with the White Sox for Craig Kimbrell mm-hmm. before he had shoulder surgery. I think that if Cody Hoyer comes back in May and is what the Cubs think he is supposed to be, that's the guy who will be the closer after they trade Brad Boxberger for spare, spare parts. So, so you, you you don't think they're, they're bringing an outside arm for that role? No, they have a lot of guys who have closed games before. And frankly, like this is exactly what they did last year. Like you bring in the old guy who can get the saves and you can feel good about it, but you've got some depth there that you can play around with. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like there's, there's some value there to be had in, in fantasy drafts, right? I mean, I'm looking at these guys, ADP, Mm -hmm. all of them are going past pick 400. The earliest is Brandon Hughes at, at pick 476. And then you've got, uh, Alzale, who he's the one that I'm really looking at it at pick 564. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. these are super deep drafts and like a, a regular 12 team league. 
these are people that you're going to players you could pick up off the waiver wire. So um, there's one of those guys. I like you said, Sarah, I, it makes sense that they're not going to be no one's going to really emerge with that job, or at least that's that doesn't seem to be their philosophy right now. Um, but if you get 10 to 15 saves from a guy like Alzale, you know, with good ratios, that that can be really valuable at where he's going in drafts right now. Um, totally. So that's worth, a, that's worth yeah. a late dart for sure. And yeah. he was a, he was a projected to be a top of the rotation starter who just was never able to stay healthy. If he can fix his lefty splits, uh, by throwing out of the bullpen and really maxing out a bit more, I mean, I think he could be an outstanding closer, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when he faces lefties. Yeah. Yeah. That, and like you said, that platoon makes sense with, with Hughes coming from the left side and then uh, Alzale if they're facing a bunch of righties, but um, we're going to transition away from the rotation and, and the bullpen. And we're going to go to the offensive side of the ball. And uh, I want to start with Seiya Suzuki because I, I find him super intriguing this year. Um, last year, he started out well, and it seemed just to be like I know he had personal stuff going on at one point. He had to go, um, you know, go back home for a while. So, and it's some injury. So, I, I know it was kind of an up and down year. What are you expecting from him this year? Do you feel that that he's going to be more comfortable and take a step forward in year two? I'm a huge Saya fan, and I think he is going to rock in 2023. I am hoping to get lots and lots of Saya Suzuki on all of my teams. He went back home for a bit towards the end of the year. He became a dad for the first time and and his wife was in Japan. And you, that's not really a trip that you can do overnight, right? Like that's a trip that takes a month. He also had some injury issues, freak stuff. Like I think he hurt a finger sliding into a base that took him out for about six weeks. Um, the thing I saw from Seiya Suzuki that I really loved in 2022, and you can see this in the numbers. If you look at his swing and miss patterns, like where he sw- when he swings and why, and like what pitches he takes, Seiya Suzuki does not swing at bad pitches. The problem that Seiya Suzuki had as the season went on is that he took a lot of strikes. However, I believe he was taking those strikes, getting used to what is going on with major league pitching, learning how pitchers were going to attack him. I mean, you could tell how frustrated he was anytime. He struck out on a called strike that he felt like he could have done some damage on. And he never really got enough sustained at bats in the middle of the season to get a second run going like he had in April. I think he's going to get that time and opportunity in 2023. And I think the steamer projections are a little low on him. For starters, I think he'll steal more than 11 bags with the new stolen base rules. Like I think that he's probably closer to a 15-20 steal guy when you look at the new rules that are coming along. The Cubs ran a lot in 2022. I was just at Cubs convention where Nico Horner basically promised they were going to run a lot more in 2023. So if you're looking to speculate on stolen bases, you could do worse than a team that ran that already proved they are willing to run and doesn't have a lot of power. So they need to generate runs somewhere else. Um, the last thing I'll say about Seiya Suzuki, and this is my favorite little story about him. Hiroshi Miyashita wrote a community graphing piece over at Fangraphs last May. I cannot recommend highly enough. If you search for Hiroshi's name, you will find it. And what he did is he looked at MPB players who came over to Major League Baseball and the stats that they had in their last seasons in Japan and then their first seasons in MLB. That first season in MLB was always kind of a doozy. Like it's a down year off what was going on in Japan. It's the same for Shohei Otani. It's the same for Tanaka. It's the same for all of them, right? But when you get in to that second year, that's where those players really start to thrive. And the thing about Seiya Suzuki is that Seiya Suzuki is a better pure hitter than Shohei Otani. All of his numbers in the MPB are better 
than cool. Shohei Otani's. And I think that he is going to rake with some consistent playing time and hopefully, God willing, some help in 2023. He's, he's, he's moving up my board now. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. And just to piggyback off of what you were saying about kind of how passive he was, he if I put in a filter for a minimum of 300 plate appearances, he was number four in MLB in terms of called strike percentage, 23%. Uh, wow. So, but if you look at everything else, I mean, his, well, as you would guess, his O-swing, 25.6%. Contact percentage was 80%. Um, only a swinging strike percentage of 8%. So if he really needed just that first year to kind of get a feel for things, and now he gets a full year of being comfortable and hopefully no more injury issues or anything, you know, he can get into a groove basically. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, he's got everything. He's got the plate discipline. He had a 10% barrel rate. Um, he's got the speed and, and that's a, a good little nugget there about them being a, an aggressive team on the base pass, especially with the new stolen base rules. So Man, I think, uh, and I didn't know that about him having better numbers than Otani in uh, in Japan. So, holy cow, um, that's definitely something I will be taking away from this interview. Mike, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, since Suzuki, I actually had reached out to Sarah last weekend. I was in a draft, and I said, what do you think about Suzuki? And she wrote me, like, in 30 seconds, she wrote me. I was like, yeah, done, except the guy in front of me sniped me. I didn't get to take him, so that sucked. But um, <laughs> Next question, Sarah, is um, about what's going on at first base here. You know, um, you and I were down in Arizona for first pitch, and we got a chance to meet and break bread and have a couple of drinks and watch uh, Matt Mervis uh, assassinate baseballs in um, Arizona. But then the Cubs went out, went out and got Hosmer and uh, Trey Mancini. How do you see this shaking out in terms of the playing time uh, conundrum that they have there? Does this mean that Mervis is going back to the minor leagues this year? I, I just want to say off the top, I hate this for Matt Mervis. I want Matt Mervis to get an opportunity to play every day with the Chicago Cubs. And if he has a red hot spring, he should break camp with the team and he should get all of the at-bats that he possibly can. What Matt Mervis did in 2022 in the minor leagues is nothing short of spectacular. He went from high A all the way up to triple A increasing his power and slashing his strikeout rate at every single level. I mean, I think there was a point when we were at the AFL, Mike, where he had more home runs than strikeouts in the Arizona Fall League. He had like seven home runs and six strikeouts over the course of the entirety of the league, which is, that's stupid. Like that should not happen. That's that's ludicrous. And it's it's incredible. And it's amazing. And it should be rewarded. Here's what I think has gone on. I believe that the Cubs don't want to put a ton of pressure on him. A lot of guys struggle when they come up from AAA. Anthony Rizzo, who was the best first baseman in Cubs history, well, not history, in Cubs recent history, I should yeah. say, uh, went back to AAA and had to spend some time in the minors after he got called up by the Padres. It is not uncommon for first-round draft picks to struggle when they come up sure. to ma the majors and have to go back. So I think that Hosmer and Mancini are stopgaps to allow the Cubs to take some pressure off of Mervis. I think that they like Mancini more than they like Hosmer. If Mervis forces their hands, they will play him over Eric Hosmer. I, I can't imagine any circumstance where Mervis is continuing to hit home runs at the rate he does and striking out at the minuscule rate that he does. And they prefer Eric Hosmer there. This isn't like a service time game or something like that. Mm -hmm. I really just think it's backstopping that position in case Matt Mervis struggles. But I will say, I think Matt Mervis is going to force this issue. And and my only concern about him at the moment 
is I don't know how long it takes him to do that. I don't know if he forces that issue out of camp. I don't know if he forces the issue out of May, out in May. But I, I'm not drafting him at the price he's at right now because he's been a pretty shiny object right now. And, and the ADP is too high for me for a guy that doesn't have a job at a mm-hmm. spring training. But I like Matt Mervis a lot. And I think that by the end of the season, he's the starting first baseman and Eric Hosbro will be somewhere else. I just want to say quickly, it's awesome having you on, Sarah, because, I mean, for I didn't say this at the beginning, but you play fantasy yourself. And you happen to win Tout Wars last year. So, you know. <laughs> I took second in Tat Wars. I won oh, Glar. Oh, okay. She yeah. won Glar. Oh, Glar. The great, oh, uh, great Lakes oh, Area Roto Fantasy League uh, that I am in with Mike. And that's part of the Earth Network. But I, I took second in Tat Wars. It was my first year in Tat Wars, and I am damn proud of that. Well, that's still quite an accomplishment. So uh, it sounds like, like you rocked fantasy last year. But it's cool having you on just because you understand the game. You know, we've had plenty of writers on that, you know, they provide awesome information, but um, you you understand the game that we play. So it's just awesome having you on. Uh, oh, yeah. Carlos, take us to our next question. Yeah, let's move to the other side of the diamond and let's go to third base, which looks to me like a, like a pretty interesting fight for playing time there because we have, we have Christopher Morel, we have Patrick Wisdom, we have McKinstry, we have... Nick Madrigal. I mean, where are they going to get to play? Because there's too many cooks around here. Let's be very clear that Nick Madrigal is not a third baseman. When I heard Jed Hoyer say that Nick Madrigal was going to get some reps at third base at Cubs Con, I almost fell over and died. Like, the, <laughs> the kid cannot throw from second deep in the hole. How is he going to throw from third? This is, this is, a, this is the stuff my nightmares are made of. Um, <laughs> I think that this is really a race between Patrick Wisdom and Christopher Morrell. And honestly, I kind of hate it for Patrick Wisdom because I like Patrick Wisdom. The power is real and he's done some great things for the Cubs. He is the Cubs rookie home run leader. He is, he is, he holds that record outright. He took it away from Chris Bryant in half the plate appearances in 2021. Patrick Wisdom's ISO over the two full seasons that he's played in Chicago has been over 200 each year and and it's not particularly close. That man has light tower power, but. Christopher Morrell has some things going on that are a lot more interesting to me, and I love everything about it. For starters, you know, he came out red hot last year. He had a 22-game on Bay Street. That's a franchise record. He took that away from Wilson Contreras, who is my favorite player in the history of history. But the most interesting thing about Christopher Morrell for me, his barrel percentage was in the 91st percentile last year, and his sprint speed's in the 88th percentile. His Mm -hmm. arm speed is in the 96th or 97th percentile. That is elite territory. The other players who have those types of tools in that particular vicinity are Byron Buxton, Teoscar Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, O'Neal Cruz, Ronald Acuna Jr. This is a kid who doesn't just have I can be the utility guy and back you up everywhere type of skills. This is a kid who has I can be an elite MLB player type of skills. And it is maddening to me that he loses playing time to Zach McKinstry or Miles Mastroboni or Nick Madrigal of all people like no offense to any of those dudes none of them have upside that puts them in a conversation with Julio Rodriguez and I do not understand why the Cubs don't see that Christopher Morrell is the kid who should get those effects now I will say this he came straight from double H the major leagues He was exposed pretty badly in the second half on off-speed and breaking pitches. I would not be shocked that if he got sent back to AAA to work on that, he skipped the level. I mean, he's he's missing some experiences there. And if he struggles against off-speed or breaking stuff, 
he is going to lose that job to Patrick Wisdom, and Patrick Wisdom is going to hit a lot of home runs while he strikes out 30% of the time until Christopher Morrell has figured out how to hit a breaking pitch. But when Christopher Morrell figures out how to hit a breaking pitch, he's only 23 years old. That kid can play, and I am looking forward to seeing him play third base for the Chicago Cubs. You know, Sarah, I wish that you know you would be a little more open and honest with how you feel about it. I mean, I wish you would stop holding back so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have a filter. <laughs> you know, Morell is wonderful. Is a wonderful player. I mean, he was really exciting to watch. And I'm a Sox fan. I watch a lot of Cubs games, and uh, I think Wisdom is like a softball, a 16 inch softball player or something. You know, like he's he doesn't really have value long term for the Cubs, and I don't see why they would use him if Morell was ready. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me either. And I honestly, um, you know, I I was so frustrated last year watching Zach McKinstry and his like 550 OPS take at bats away from Christopher Morrell. And I get that Morrell was dealing with a hamstring injury, but you don't rehab a hamstring injury by sitting every third day. Like you rehab a hamstring injury by sitting. Mm -hmm. So I honestly have this fear that the Cubs are going to trade Christopher Morrell because they don't value what they have there. And I think if they do, they'll regret it. I am hoping that Morrell just forces the issue and wins that job outright, and the guy that gets traded is Patrick Wisdom. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing Miles Mastrobuni over Christopher Morrell, like someone, whoever's making the decisions up there just uh, isn't thinking clearly. So, um, yeah, hopefully he can figure out those strikeout issues. And, man, if he does, the the upside is just immense with him. Um, so moving on to another player that um, – does have some upside based on what he's done in the past. The guy has been an MVP. Let's talk about Cody Bellinger, um, someone that the Cubs are are taking a chance on here. And it, it seems like a smart move, the kind of guy that you, you do want to take a flyer on. Um, tell us, Sarah, what are your thoughts on Bellinger heading into this year? So I'll be very honest. I have never had Cody Bellinger on any fantasy team, mainly because when the price was super high, I wasn't willing to pay it. And then when he started to struggle, there was just a lot there that I had concerns about. My biggest concern here is that I don't understand why the Cubs think they can fix a swing that the Dodgers couldn't fix. Like one of those teams is much better at assessing talent and making adjustments than the other. And it's not the Chicago Cubs as much as I love my guys on the north side of Chicago. That said, I've seen some video of Cody Bellinger working on his swing this offseason that is compelling. And I will say this, if you're just looking for plate appearances, he is going to play. He is going to be in the lineup every single day. He is going to get a shot to fix whatever it is that is wrong with him playing center field for the Chicago Cubs. They do not have anybody else who can play center right now. The backup center fielder is Christopher Morrell. He wasn't very good in center last year. He can play all over the diamond, but center wasn't really his jam. Uh Cody Bellinger is the center fielder for the Chicago Cubs. He's going to hit high in the lineup, and he's going to get a ton of plate appearances to fix whatever is wrong with him in the hopes that he can get traded. This is a chance for him to reestablish value to get a much bigger deal, hopefully at some point next season for him. Um, and, you know, it's not a terrible flyer to take considering what outfield looks like in fantasy baseball this year. There are a lot of guys who are in platoon situations. Cody mm -hmm. Bellinger is not. Cody Bellinger is going to get the plate appearances. Those plate appearances could be terrible, but he's going to get the reps at the plate. Let me ask you, because I, I don't know, is marijuana legal in Illinois? It is, and there's a dispensary half a block from, uh, from Wrigley. Oh, it sure is. Come on. See, there, 
I was about to take a chance on Bellinger, but knowing that, he's off my board. <laughs> man, oh my I mean, God. that guy's that guy's got to lay off of it, man. I mean, he just he's, just, he's out there looking like he don't know what's going on. But uh, all right, Carlos, take us uh, to our next question. And you know, I, I'm just gonna tell you guys on the fly. We normally do like a. Uh, follow-up segment where we like interview our writer and then we like discuss everything from a fantasy angle i'm audible and i'm just gonna have sarah join us for the fantasy segment as well we'll yep. do a full hour let's get it done because she is spitting fire right now carlos take us to our next question well um i i have one question and i want you to say yes so please let help me with that because i have this guy in most of my dynasty team brandon davis is he breaking out this year or we have to wait another year? Okay, so I drafted my first dynasty team last year and Brennan Davis is on my dynasty team too. So please know that I am with you in the trenches on this one. I love Brennan Davis. I think the bat is legit and I think he's going to get a shot at some point in time. That said, the the injury that Brennan Davis was dealing with is different than what we originally thought it was. Well, actually, I should say there's two injuries, right? So there's the vascular formation that everybody's aware of that was pushing on a nerve, which was causing pain in his legs. That's the original injury that shut him down last season. It's why he was in the Arizona Fall League. He got shut down in the Arizona Fall League because of back pain. And it turns out that was an early stress reaction that, look, I'm glad they caught it and didn't push him any farther. But there's a lot of bad that can come from a stress reaction in your back. And the big question for me is, did they catch it soon enough that that's just going to heal and he'll be fine and he could theoretically come up, say, in Mm -hmm. June or July of this season? Or is he really going to have to be shut down for a considerable amount of time, in which case you're looking at a 2024 arrival for Brennan Davis? And I, I think the skills are real. I think that he has a job in left field after the Cubs fail to extend Ian Happ because they don't extend anybody. And I don't know why we think they're going to extend Ian Happ. Uh, But I think that there's a very real chance we don't see him in 2023, depending on how bad that stress reaction was, because that's not the type of injury you fool around with on a first round draft pick. Right. I have, I have breaking. I'm a little concerned, but I feel, you know, let's say I'm half and half in, in, in that situation. I mean, I'm holding him in my dynasty team. I'm not going to like trade him or anything. I, I want right. him when he comes up. I just am, I'm pushing the timetable back closer to 2024. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. them taking a chance on it this season unless everything breaks right for them in the right. first part of the season. Right. I have breaking news. The right. Cubs claim Julian Merriweather and designate Manuel Rodriguez for assignment. So, the, well, they might be hoping Rodriguez clears waivers and they can just assign him to AAA, but mm, I don't think that probably takes. Waivers. I think that takes him out of the saves conversation. Yep. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> One flamethrower for another, I guess, huh? Well, Merriweather yeah. was a fantasy darling for like a week. Remember, like two years ago. Yeah. So I want to I want to say something about that if I can, real quickly. Yeah, go for it. I had somebody reach out to me when Merriweather got those two saves in the first week. I had a guy reach out to me and tell me that I was wrong about all my bullpen prognostications, which he's more than entitled to do because you are wrong more than half the time. And I bet him, I said, I will bet you whatever you would like to bet uh, within reason because I'm two young children at home and I got to pay for them to go to college, uh, that he doesn't get another save this year. And Merriweather ended the season with two saves. Wow. <laughs> Yay that, for that's, my- why, that, that's why you are the 
yeah. the bullpen's yeah. the room, man. I got lucky, you know. <laughs> that old saying about the sun shining on every dog's ass, that was me that year, so. <laughs> well, he got hurt, right? That was that was what happened. That's no. why I didn't keep the role. No, he didn't get no. hurt. Really? That's a convenient Yankee fan excuse that somebody got hurt. <laughs> I just wanted to knock you down a bit. You know, you, you were feeling high and mighty over He's here. Talking Jordan Romano got the job, which is what I had said was going to happen. But I was right. I was right for once. All right, all right, good for you, man. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike, you're up. You're up with the next question. Yeah. So, Sarah, you know, um, I know we we're just talking about Brendan Davis and fantasy stuff, but. Tell us one, you know, one player that you think will surprise this year as a fantasy asset. Well, I already mentioned him. Um, I think that Cody Hoyer is the guy to pick up late in the season. And if you if you're like looking to speculate on late saves and you have a spot on like an IL spot, you're not playing in an NFBC type of league. Cody Hoyer is not a bad dart to throw at the end of your draft. And then you can just stash him on the IL and activate him when he's ready. Um, I think that he is going to get save opportunities for the Cubs. I don't think that Brad Boxberger is the solution <laughs> for the long term there. There's a very real chance that all of the other options we talked about, the platoon with Hughes and Alzali and all that stuff doesn't work out. Cody Hoyer, they traded for him to be this guy. And if the stuff is still there, he's going to get that shot. And so he's the guy that I've got a couple of late darts um, already thrown at in a couple of gladiator drafts. And, you know, we'll see. Like, I, it. It was worth a shot for me if to get 15 or 20 saves that late in the draft. Okay, so let's go to the other side of the coin and uh, look at a player who you think is is uh, going to disappoint us this season. Okay, so this is going to upset some people. Uh, and to be clear, it's it's not that I dislike him. I just think that he's you're not drafting what you think you're drafting. I think Dansby Swanson, uh, as the highest cub off the board at an ADP of 79, is just way too high to be drafting as your shortstop right there, particularly with the other guys who go around him and where they go. Dansby Swanson is probably not going to hit anywhere near the RBI or run totals that he had with the Atlanta Braves. Like the cast of characters around him is so much worse. But beyond that, the Cubs strike out a lot. Like almost every guy in the lineup one to nine has a strikeout rate over 23% including Ian Happ. Like the only guys that are exceptions there are Nico Horner and Eric Cosmer. Everybody else strikes out somewhere between 23 and 34% of the time, which means I see a high variance offense for the Cubs. And I think that when you look at Dancy's projections and the counting stats, it's looking like 76 RBIs, not 96 RBIs. Mm -hmm. That's a really big difference for somebody that you are taking at an ADP of 79. And Edmund goes about, Tommy Edmund with the Cardinals goes about five picks before Dansby Swanson. I would rather have him. But Xander Bogarts and Tim Anderson both go about 10 picks later. And I would rather Mm -hmm. have both of them. They're all in better lineups. They all have a better, like, baseline offensive skill set. They don't strike out as much. I don't know. I just, I like all three of those guys more than I like Dansby Swanson. And I don't think I'll be drafting Dansby. He's definitely got the best hair, though. You got to admit that. Oh, the hair is incredible. <laughs> yeah. I honestly was mesmerized. I was mesmerized by it at CubsCon. I think I even tweeted about it. So it, it, let me just ask about CubsCon. How do, what exactly is that? Is it just like players? It's like a, a team event that they have to like get people hyped for the, the season or? Yep. Uh, it is a convention for Cubs fans. They bring all of the players out. You know, it, we haven't had it since 2020 uh, was the last one that we had right before the pandemic shut everything down. But 
to the, and I will give the Cubs some credit here. I, I have, I have taken some shots at the front office and the ownership group, both in my writing and on Twitter. Props to the Cubs for bringing Cubs come back. Props to them for having the Ricketts take questions from the fans on Saturday morning. Props to them for having Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins take questions from the fans on Saturday morning. Props to them for bringing all of the players in for fans to meet and get excited about. It was really cool to see Dansby Swanson and Cody Bellinger and Jamison Tyon get their first taste of what it means to be a Chicago Cub. Playing at Wrigley Field is special. It's yep. an environment that is unparalleled in baseball. It's up there with the Yankee Stadium experience. It's up there with the Boston Red Sox experience. It is a brilliant place to experience baseball. And Cubs fans are loyal as all hell. Like we show up whether the team is winning or whether the team is bad and we get angry about it. But like, it's a great experience. So yeah, it's, it's the nerdiest thing you can imagine as a Cubs fan. I will say this before I went to my first Cubs con. I was convinced I was the biggest Cubs fan I knew. I walked into the Sheridan and I was like, oh, these people are well beyond me. Yeah. People have their dogs with like matching Bryant and Rizzo jerseys walking around. They're like trading for Nico Horner autographs when Nico's still in the minors. Like these people are intense and I've got nothing on any of them. (laughs) Very cool. Um, I wanted to get back to that discussion because you you brought up, I think, a really interesting – conversation point about Dansby Swanson and how he may be I, I think I hadn't even considered that but um you know going from the Braves to the Cubs that is a big downgrade what's interesting like I'm looking at his projections and I was planning to bring this up initially anyway looking at him compared to like Francisco Lindor who's going in the third round of drafts uh, about 50 picks before Dansby their projections are almost the same if you plug them into like an auction calculator, Lindor comes out as a 65th ranked player. Swanson is a 69th. So um, I wanted to pass it to you guys. I think, again, Sarah brought up some good points. Mike, Carlos, do you have any thoughts on on taking Swanson there uh, at his current ADP of, I believe it's around 85 at this point? I, I, I completely agree with, with Sarah in terms that the, the ADP is too rich at, the, at, the, at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would definitely go to the other side of town and get Tim Anderson. Definitely. I, I mean, it's not a shot against uh, Swanson. It's just the, the how the roster is, the lineup is built, and, and Anderson goes into a way better in paper, you know, in theory, uh, because we could have surprises. But it, it looks like the White Sox could be into producing a lot of runs next next this next season. So. That's what we want from a guy going in, you know, into the 80s and, uh, and, and all that AEP. Well, I, I, that's my thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's hoping. <laughs> I, I, I think so, too. I think Swanson's a little rich for my blood. I, I had um, an opportunity in one of the listener leagues that I was in uh, last weekend to, to take him around pick 90, and I, and I didn't. I, had, I already had uh, Bobby Witt, and I had Simeon, and I decided to pass on him there. Um, I just thought that I could get better options later on in the drafts. And I felt I felt like I was okay with that. I ended up taking a pitcher instead, I think. So I, I like Swanson a lot. As a, I think he's one of those guys, to me, that's a better baseball player in real life than maybe he is for our purposes in fantasy. Okay. I, I think that's fair. Um, honestly, he was someone, after doing a deeper dive on him, I was um, kind of mixed. But now I am... Uh, after hearing your points, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards not taking him at that point. But um, Carlos, I wanted to ask you. I know you got to get out of here in a minute, but uh, 
want to ask you, who are you most interested in out of all the Cubs right now? Who are you most interested in at their ADP? Um, Justin Steele. I know it. I know it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, uh, I, I think he's really, really talented and, uh, well, the, that graph that you shared uh, in the chat regarding the use of his slider and how the, when he increased using his slider, how he made the, his game so good after, after that. It's just part of what makes him good. I'm a little concerned because they, it, he's been, it's been said that he's a two pitch guy, that he needs to develop a, some more, uh, another pitch, but I think he's, uh, if Dinoson Lamed make the living for a while with just two pitches and Tyler, Tyler Glasnow does it, still can do it too. And, 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 and I think he's, he's way too talented for not to have success. The only thing I'm worried about is about health, you know, and, and, and he, as Sarah mentioned, he, he was a, a little run down by the end of the, of the season. Part of it was, uh, injuries, but maybe there were some stamina situations. I, I don't know. I'm a, uh, we have to see how it evolves in terms of of him making a lot of pitches for a complete season. But I, but I'm really optimistic about his chance. Yeah, and and the graph that you're referring to, um, and I'll post it on Twitter, uh, just showing how his xFIP um, really plummeted. Once he, as he increased his slider usage last season, it was completely inverse relationship. So, the more he leaned into that um, and and changed that pitch mix, um, the more he saw some really really positive results. Sarah, are you on board with Justin Steele? And just for our listeners, just um, his ADP now is at three hundred on the dot. So, um, Sarah, what are your thoughts on Justin Steele, and would you be interested in him at that price? I absolutely love him at an ADP of 300. I mean, I think I had him in Glarf last year for sure. And he, I picked him up in the middle, uh, off the waiver wire in the middle of the season. He definitely saved me down the stretch with the number of innings he threw and how well he threw them. A note about Justin Steele that your listeners may not know. Um, the thing that really switched the flip or flipped the switch for him, sorry, <laughs> flipped the switch for him uh, when he made those changes, he had a conversation with John Lester about how to approach batters later in the, later in the season. And that was the moment that things sort of changed for Justin Steele. David Ross and John Lester are still like great friends. That's a resource that he can go to for planning purposes and for looking at how he can get more out of his pitches. He did throw, you, you, you mentioned he's a two pitch guy, but two of those pitches are different fastballs. One is a four seam and one is a sinker. He throws that sinker about 8% of the time and he uses it to get some deception, which I think is really helpful. For him, and the last thing I'll say about Justin Steele that makes him very intriguing to me from a fantasy perspective, David Ross towards the end of the season really showed that he was going to let Steele stay in games late. So there were a lot of times where there were like two guys on in the sixth inning with an out where David Ross could have gone to the bullpen and he did not. He wanted to see what happened with Justin Steele and Justin Steele got out of most of those situations. So he's a guy who is going to get the innings. He'll get you more wins and more quality starts because he doesn't have that quick hook that some of these other mm-hmm. pitchers that the Cubs have have. Yeah, that's that's a really yeah. um, good piece of information that they're yeah. uh, showing confidence in him and, uh, you know, we'll let him go deep into games. And just um, looking at the second half, pulling up his numbers here, he had a 2.82 XFIP in the second half. 
Uh, short sample, we know, 36 innings. But um, I think it's important, you know, with pitchers, it, it could change so quick. Just one adjustment, you know, and when we have something tangible to grab onto, like a pitch mix change, um, I think we we have to take notice. And for me, at that price, at a price of 300 uh, yeah. I think I'm all in uh, yeah. on steel. Mike, real quick, any thoughts? Yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. And hearing you guys talk about him, um, yeah, I, I would really like to have some shares of him. Yeah. Well, welcome, welcome aboard. All right. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get you out of there on a positive note, Carlos. Um, I know you got to get going, so we will. Bye, guys. Good to see you, man. See you, All man. Right. Bye, bye, Sarah. Thanks for everything. Bye, bye. Mike. It was nice to meet you. Peace, Carlos. Bye, bye. All right. Another player that I am really interested in this season, and he's not really a sexy name. I don't think there's a ton of upside, um, but I'm talking about Ian Hat. And, you know, I just think that he is where he's going in drafts. He's going around like pick 135, 140. I think he just offers you mentioned earlier, Sarah, how outfield can dry up pretty quick. Sure does. Um, and, and in a five outfielder league, you really need to be cognizant of that in the early rounds and make sure that you're not ending up with, you know, three guys who could end up in a platoon. And Ian Happ is not that. Ian Happ is going to play every day. Um, I love that he's a switch hitter. He doesn't have any major platoon splits. He chips in a little bit of speed. Uh, we know about the power. He improved his contact percentage quite a bit last season. Um, so, you know, I don't think, again, we're going to see like some major step forward and all of a sudden next year he's going to be like a top 50 guy. But I think in a, in a deeper, like a 15 team league, especially, I think he's a great guy to target in the middle rounds there. What say you, Sarah? Yeah, I like Ian Happ a lot. I think actually that conversation Mike and I were having about Seiya Suzuki, the, the follow-up was, well, I still have a shot at Happ. Um, yeah. Look, right, Happ is right. Happ is not going to platoon. He cut his strikeout rate, I think, 6% last year. And that was always the problem for Happ. He's a switch hitter, and he had some issues striking out from his weaker side. Um, he actually spent the vast majority of 2019 in AAA working on that. And one of the things that people forget from that season when Ian Happ came back at the start of September in 2019, he hit the longest home run on the 2019 Cubs. And, and it was a, I mean, like cleared the concourse in, in right center. Like it was a shot that I, I honestly still think about it sometimes and it gives me chills. Um, that was a team that had Kyle Schwarber on it. That was a team that had Anthony Rizzo on it. Wilson Contreras has hit his share of bombs. Ian Happ had the longest home run on that team. I think Ian Happ has real power. He's going to play every day. Look, he strikes out a lot, but a strikeout rate of 23.6% is a lot better than what he used to do, which was right around 29%. He's going to hit high in the order, and he's going to be in the mix when the Cubs are get, when the Cubs put together those runs where they get a lot of runs or where they score a lot of runs. Ian Happ is going to be right in the mix for all of it. I think he's he's not going to run as much as like a Seiya Suzuki is, but you got to have five outfielders who are going to play every day, and Ian Happ is going to do that. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I think that's um, – you mentioned like how, how Suzuki and Happ – Mike, you mentioned that uh, you could get Happ later. I think that's an interesting like grouping right there of outfielders just looking at ADP right now and uh, interesting that they're teammates. Another guy kind of throw in that kind of archetype of players like a Taylor Ward. 
Um, they're all kind of going within like 20 to 30 picks of each other. And, and I think that's kind of that's where I'll be taking like my outfielder three, probably like one of those guys, a guy who not going to kill me in batting average is going to be above average in power and chip in a little bit in speed. I think out of all of those guys, I'm probably I'm thinking that Suzuki has the highest upside out of all of them for for the reasons that we discussed earlier. Um, Mike, what about you? Who are you looking at in terms of current ADP uh, that you're most interested in on the Cubs? I'm interested in Nico Horner, honestly. I, really? All right. Yeah, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. I, I think he's going to do – I think he's going to hit for a little bit more power than what people think he's going to hit for. I mean, he had a couple of years there where he had, a, you know, 100 and some at-bats. He didn't hit any home runs, and people kind of wrote him off. But what he does have is similar to what Sarah was just saying about Hap and Suzuki, which is he's going to play. I mean, this is a guy that's probably going to play somewhere between 135 and 140 games. I, they don't have anybody that's better than him there. He's a really good defensive player. Uh, this was a guy who was a four-war player last year, and he stole 20 bases. And I think a lot of people kind of forget that. You know, I know what the thought process is on that too, right? I mean, it, if he hits 12 home runs and steals 20 bases, are you going to be behind in something if you, you know, look at him in that regard? But I'd rather take a shot at a guy like that than spending a higher pick on like, I mean, I'm going to say this and I I get, I'll get criticized for it, but like I'd rather have Nico Horner than Wander Franco as a middle infielder. I Mm. I think he's got more upside than Wander Franco does. Wander Franco is a really good baseball player and it's going to hit for a high average, but I think Horner is going to give you the same thing pretty close, honestly. Um, So that is is a hot take, man. That's, That is a really hot take. So you're, I don't, you would take I don't know if there's a more overrated fantasy player than Wander Franco. I have an exception there. I think Wander – I might take Wander Franco. I w- might rather have Wander Franco in an OBP league. Because yeah, I don't true. think – Nico doesn't walk. Um, I love Nico Horner. I had him in a bunch of places last year. He saved me in Towers when I picked him up off the waiver. I had Wander Franco in Tout Wars, and when he got hurt, I picked up Nico Horner and Christopher Morell, and that oh, saved no me huh. uh, in my Tout Wars league. Nico Horner is what people thought Nick Madrigal was with like five yeah. times the barrels, yeah. right? So like everybody thought Nick Madrigal was going to be like this slap hitter, 300 hitter, and he didn't have any power, but it was fine because he was had such a great contact tool that it would be good and you would get all your counting stats and it would be great. It turns out that Nick Madrigal does not hit the ball hard enough to be able to take advantage of that contact skill, or at least he didn't last season. Now, maybe it's because he was injured. I don't know. He's hit everywhere he's been. But if you can't get the ball over the infielders, they can position you shallow enough in the outfield that there's just no threat of you getting those hits. Nico Horner, on the other hand, hits the ball hard enough that I think Nico Nico was hitting 300 until he kind of ran out of gas. Mm -hmm. In September, and then he wound up, I think, finishing right around 277, 278. I don't have it in front of me right now. But he doesn't – look, he doesn't barrel the ball a ton, but he's got a 6% barrel rate. He's going to get you 10 home runs. He's going to steal 15 bags. He's going to play every single day because the glove really plays. I actually think he's a better shortstop than Dansby Swanson is. Nico has a better arm. Nico has more outs above average to his right and his left, whereas Dansby's outs above average are all to his right. Like, I actually think he is probably the better shortstop on the Cubs. He's not going to play shortstop because Dansby signed the big deal and Nico's a team player, so he'll go to second. But I think Nico Horner is sneaky good. 
And look, batting averages is hard to come by these days as stolen bases or home runs. So get yourself a guy who has the upsides of being a 300 hitter that plays every day. Exactly. And if you, at the very least, he's going to off, if you take a, a, a chance with uh, somebody that's a 230, 240 hitter, you can counterbalance that by having Horner contribute with batting average and with stolen bases. He's going to play every day. He's going to have 550, 600 at bats easily. As long as he stays healthy. He, he didn't have that health component early in his career. Now that said, it, it, Nico's really wild to look at too, because he spent almost no time in the minors. And so we don't actually know what Nico is yet. He's been doing all of his development in the major leagues. He got called up from double A in 2019 when the Cubs ran out of shortstops. So I think there's still growth for Nico Horner. I don't think he's going to be like a 20 home run type of guy, but I do think he could steal you 20 bags and hit 10 home runs. And that is valuable with a guy who hits 300. Yeah, so just for reference, he's going at a pick of uh, 140. Uh, you mentioned the OBP, and Nico Horner had, let's see what his, I know his walk rate was low, uh, 327 OBP last year with a 5% walk rate. So do you think, Sarah, that they're going to bat Horner lead off as roster resources projecting, or where do, where do you see him settling in? I think that the Cubs haven't had a leadoff hitter since 2016. The last leadoff hitter the Cubs had was Dexter Fowler, and they have been like auditioning guys for that role over and over and over again. They've tried power hitters there. Christopher Morell got a shot when he was in his on-base percentage streak. Wilson Contreras got a shot for a while. Anthony Rizzo got a shot for a while. I They don't have a leadoff hitter. They will hit anybody in that position who sh- demonstrates that they can see enough pitches to be an advantage for the rest of the team. And Nico has as good a shot as anyone. Now, I, I don't love it because he doesn't take walks. I mean, Nico's a contact bat. He doesn't see a ton of pitches. But he's got as good of a shot to hit leadoff for the Cubs as anybody. I think it's a given that he'll hit in the top five in the lineup. I, I don't think they have four other guys that they could put in those slots. So Nico's going to be towards the top of the lineup. I'm just not sure if he'll stick at leadoff. Yeah, and that that's part of my concern is just given the low OBP. Like, let's say he does hit fifth or sixth, which he did. It, it looks like at the you know at the end of last year, pretty consistently. Um, this already, like you mentioned, Sarah, it's not a great lineup. So then, if you take away a lot of plate appearances by bumping them down four to five spots in the lineup, then you start talking about all right, his counting stats aren't going to be great. The power, I got to push back on the power because I, I I don't. I mean, of course, he could take a step forward, and I think that's a great point. Like, he's developing at the major league level, so maybe there's there's another, um, uh, you know, another level there for him. But uh, like last year, he had ten barrel, he had eleven home runs on ten barrels, uh, which is like a wildly unsustainable rate. I mean, usually it's like I think like forty percent, or do you know what it is, Mike? It's like around forty fifty percent of your barrels that should be home runs. So he was almost 100%, you know, of the barrels that he did have ended up home runs. So unless he really, again, takes a step forward in that department, the power that he's showing right now, um, I think you'll be fortunate to get the 10 home runs out of him. The steals, though, uh, to be fair, could counterbalance that. And maybe um, he is more aggressive with the new rules and, um, you know, that kind of balances out the power. So. I'm probably not taking him at his current price, but uh, I can I can see the argument for it. Yeah, he's only 25. He could he could have another level there. Yeah, 
I will yeah. I will say this. So all of his home runs last year were like these line shots just over the left field wall. Like if you look at his spray chart, they all just kind of barely clear the left field fence. And they were all liners. They're not they're not these towering type of home runs. They're line drives that happen to clear the wall. A couple of things mm. there. One, that's not a bad place to hit the ball in general at Wrigley Field. You're going to get a lot of extra base hits off of those types of hits, whether they go over the wall or not. So I, I'm less concerned about like, does he have eight home runs or does he have 12? I think I think that's kind of the range you're looking at with Nico Horner. But I will say that as a second baseman, I don't mind having him as my second baseman or as my middle infielder. I do probably want somebody better at short. Like, I don't want him to be my starting shortstop. I'm yeah, okay sure. if he's my starting second baseman or my starting middle infielder. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. All right, Sarah, we are going to um, wrap up in a minute here. Um, did want to ask you, who is your favorite all-time Cub? Wow, I appreciate this question so much. It is Wilson Contreras. Okay. It is not particularly oh, man, close. <laughs> yeah, I I've am. plenty about him on Twitter, yeah. It, it was Ryan Sandberg growing up. Wilson Contreras at some point in the last few seasons surpassed Ooh. Ryan Sandberg for me. And look, these things are irrational. I know one of these guys is a Hall of Famer and the other one is not. Wilson Contreras, and I wrote a piece about him uh, when he basically turned down the qualifying offer and was no longer a Chicago Cub. It's called From Bat Flips to Back Picks, Wilson Contreras Exceeded Everyone's Expectations. And I'm just going to put this out there for your listeners because I think that you could do worse than having Wilson Contreras as the starting catcher on your team. That man was not supposed to be here. He was not supposed to be the backup catcher on the 2016 Cubs. That was supposed to be Kyle Schwarber. He was supposed to come up to deal with an injury issue for Miguel Montero and David Ross for like a week and a half and go back to the minor leagues. And we were never supposed to hear from him again. He came up, took the first pitch he saw in Major League Baseball, hit it for a home run, mm -hmm. never went back to AAA except to rehab injuries. Kyle Schwarber, Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, all went back to AAA. Wilson Contreras never did. The man is tenacious. All he does is improve at all points in time. And now he's got a Chicago-sized chip on his shoulder because the team that he wanted to extend him and keep him in the fold for his entire life, he's been a Cub for since he was 16 years old, let him go to the St. Louis Cardinals. Wilson Contreras is going to absolutely murder the Cubs for the oh next five gosh, seasons. Yeah. He is going to go to St. Louis with the idea of trying to live up to Yadier Molina, and he is going to take that personally. And I would never bet against Wilson Contreras. I think he's an incredible baseball player. I think he's vastly underrated, particularly in a position where you do not have offensive power. That man would have been like the 15th best designated hitter in baseball last year, and he catches. So go get yourself some Wilson Contreras on your team. <laughs> I love that angle. Yeah, he is going to have a chip on his shoulder. I mean, but listen, the Cubs are fine. They got Tucker Barnhart. You know, I mean, what what else do you need? I am supposed to write a Tucker Barnhart piece, and I've been procrastinating on it for like two and a half weeks because I really just want to say Tucker Barnhart is about a million times worse than Jan Gomes was when he was backing up Wilson Contreras. And neither of these dudes is Wilson Contreras. The end. No, like not. that's that's my piece. It is <laughs> this just a matter that. of them being like we our earlier conversation touched on, like them just being cheap? I, I mean, like what? Why would you not? Like it doesn't make sense to me when you've got a homegrown guy like that, a guy who has given so much to that city. The city loves him. Um, you know, I remember like at the trading deadline, that first game back, like everyone was going crazy with, when he came back. So like. 
what are they thinking? And, and I understand, like, Dansby Swanson's a nice player, but why not give that money to a guy who's given you so much? I think that they're thinking that at catcher, they needed somebody who was better at managing pitchers and framing or whatever. I actually think that framing stats are one of the most volatile stats in baseball. And like, there are years Jan Gomes looks great at framing. And then there are years Jan Gomes looked terrible at framing. And the same is true for a lot of catchers, including Wilson Contreras. Now I'm not going to argue that he's a great framer, but there are years where he was in the 67th, 70th percentile. And there are years where he was in like the second percentile. It's, right. it's a very volatile stat. Um, I think that. They didn't want him to catch for them. And they're not creative enough to recognize that he could just be the DH for them and they would have one of the best designated hitters in the league and it would be totally worth five years, $87.5 million. I also think, and, and this is a hunch, I've never talked to anyone about this, but my hunch is that at some point, one of the bat flips or one of the you know blow-ups at an umpire or whatever rubs somebody the wrong way and they think that he's not a good leader or something. And I just have to say nothing could be farther from the truth. I watched him last year. He always had this crew of all the young Latino players around him in the dugout. Christopher Morrell, Nelson Velasquez, Bramil Reyes, they went to Wilson all the time between every at-bat to get advice, to talk through their strategy. He would talk to them about what he thought was going to happen with pitchers and what he thought was coming next. And there were just all these great moments, particularly between him and Christopher Morrell. I think he's a fantastic leader. I think he's an incredible catcher. I think he's an outstanding hitter, which is why he's been a three-time all-star starting catcher. And I think the Cubs will regret that. I'm going to wear Wilson Contreras gear to Wrigley Field every time the Cubs play the Cardinals. And I hope Jed Hoyer can hear me screaming for Wilson Contreras from his luxury box. yeah i i think you're totally right they are going to regret that and not only does he leave but he goes to the freaking cardinals i mean man that is (laughs) this is my villain origin story this is it yeah yeah (laughs) you're gonna go off the rails here this is it's crazy that they didn't get any of those guys back i I, you know you figured they'd get maybe half of like two out of the four or whatever some combination of them and to let him go the way that they did is just so ignominious i mean it's just ridiculous well and the thing that just really kills me about this because the narrative at the trade deadline was oh well no there's no value in a bat first catcher and then we find out the astros were going to part with jose urquidy for two months of wilson Contreras. they were going to give up three years of jose urquidy for two months of wilson Contreras. like the the cubs shot themselves in the foot here they made it sound like he didn't have any value and then they didn't get any value back and they found themselves in this position and it's like And now he's going to be the starting catcher for your division rival. And he is going to be the greatest Cubs killer this side of Albert Pujols. And I wrote that piece too. So I know exactly how much damage Albert Pujols did against the Cubs. You know, what's funny is when you say Jose Urquidy, I think that would have been a great trade for them because he could have been another number three starter for them. Yeah, exactly. We're just collecting number three starters on the north side of Chicago. Yeah, he would have fit it so well. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, listen, Sarah, this has been great having you on tons of good information particularly relevant to fantasy uh, so we really appreciate it want to give you a moment here uh, to plug your work uh, to our listeners yeah so you can follow me on twitter at bcb underscore sarah there is no h on the sarah that's also my handle on like instagram and mastodon and post and like all these other news twitters that people think might be necessary in case twitter dies um <laughs> i write for bleed cubby blue which is the sb nation commu- uh, cubs community uh, and I host their podcast. It's called Cup of Cubby Blue. We'll have a new episode out tomorrow. So if you want to hear me talk about all things Cubs and why Jed Hoyer drives me crazy, you can absolutely listen to that and subscribe so you never listen, miss an episode. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mike. Any final words before we get out of here? Well, Sarah, uh, thanks again for coming on. I know it's been kind of a long time coming. We've been so happy to have you be on, and I will see you in a few short weeks for the Glarf Draft. Looking forward to it. I cannot wait. I'm also like very excited to see this championship belt I get. I totally forgot there was a championship oh, belt, nice. and I I am looking forward to displaying it back here somewhere right. prominently. I'll bet you. I'll bet you a nice glass of wine that Dave forgets to bring it. <laughs> better not man i want my belt i won that belt you wanted fair and square on the last day man Let, let's see you go back to back i'm actually i'm joining uh i think it's turf the one in new york yeah, yeah. so i will be part of the earth conglomerate oh cool so, welcome to yeah. earth man welcome to yeah earth. Um, <laughs> yeah it feels good it's to be savage, there, man so. it's savage it's cutthroat yeah can't wait Glarf and Tout Wars are the two hardest leagues I play in, and and it's not close. Like, those two leagues are brutally oh, yeah. hard. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you again, Sarah. Mike, thank you. Uh, thank you all for listening and hanging in there with us. You have been listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. <laughs>